opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, mics are live and hot. We are ready to rock. Welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show. Your favorite Tuesday you've had all day. I'm glad you said that because something uh, probably very inappropriate was just about to come out of my mouth. You're like, the mics are hot. I'm like, okay, be quiet. Filter came on. Yeah, good plan. <laughs> yeah, Katie's having her mic filtered. So there's a pop filter. So when you say pops and sizzle and any of those it doesn't sounds sound like you're spitting at pepper. your microphone. Yeah, so there's a cover over the microphone. Thank goodness. Uh, and we had to go with all three microphones for the show because we have got... It's got to be our favorite attorney joining us again on the show today, Mr. Derek Simmons. Howdy. Well, I, I thought know was... he's your favorite, and I, he's definitely one of mine. I, I was yes. going to say... I... We have to say that. We get a discount that way. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it would be handy if we just had a filter that Katie could carry around. Just a you know general Katie filter. It's Ooh, true. Like, it a, to... like maybe like a beekeeper's Something helmet? Something to think about. <laughs> it, it needs to, yeah. Because she curses like a sailor. I can. I can. Just I can. Yeah, it's bad sometimes. It's, I have this I really vision now of Lord Helmet from Spaceballs. <laughs> oh, please don't get me one of those. That's just awful. Oh. It's You know, cursing is something that I try very hard not to do, as funny as that sounds. But I've noticed that the higher my stress level goes, the, the more frequency the curse words come out. I have heard on this show. That you be beeped about forty percent. No, time. no, no. Maybe that's a different show. Maybe different that's show. A different show. Different show. That's cable. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're still. And now that the government shutdown did end, uh, I understand that the FCC is again enforcing fines for that sort of thing. So, <laughs> oh, were they really trying to get away with it? Since they were, oh, I don't know. It? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. It's I wouldn't test it. The uh, penalty is extraordinarily steep. Right. So right. No need to go down that pathway. Uh, but speaking of government shutdowns, I'm looking for the over under. On so as of this morning, okay. a compromise piece of legislation between both Democrats and Republicans being sent to the White House to get some kind of budget resolution to move forward. Uh, I understand about one point three billion is the figure, not the five point some odd. It was I've heard five point seven or other figures that Trump was asking for for building border wall. And so now it goes to the White House for signature. So the over-under is not on whether or not it gets signed, but whether or not we have government shutdown 2.0 after close of business Friday, this week, this Friday. So why is that not tied to whether this gets signed or not? It's totally signed to it, but I want to talk about whether or not the government shuts down again, not whether or not this gets signed. So I think what you have to say is if it doesn't get signed, does yeah. the government shut down? Right. If it gets signed, the government doesn't shut down. Pretty much. And I handicapped this as almost a sure thing to have government shut down 2.0. But right now, from where I'm sitting, that I'd have probably lost my own bet. Because I'm, I'm really thinking they're, they're not going to say no. Well, isn't the traditional answer in this industry, 
um, when you're not sure what's going to go on, you diversify. So I want the government both to shut down and not to shut down. A little bit of each. Hedging. Yeah, that's not how bets work. <laughs> like, I, I gave you, you, you had one job, Derek. Am I reaching too far for this joke? Yeah, I was say, if you go to the horse track and bet on all the horses, it's I like, think so you heads or tails, and you said both. See, it's going to land on its edge. It's going to land on its edge. Oh, Although man. the heads or tails game at the fish derby was the most interesting heads or tails game because it came up tails almost every single that time. That was uncanny. That was and I like mean, four times. Oh, in it was a row. more than that, wasn't it? Like six or so. It was I a lot. So. It, it was, was uncanny lot. how many times heads or tails. tails it was tails went, almost went. every single tails, time. Tails, 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 heads. heads. I know. I was like, I would have been out right away into on that one. Yeah. So whether or not the government shuts down, we're talking about the wall. How does the GoFundMe come into all of that? Because they've raised over $20 million, almost $21 million for the it, GoFundMe for the it wall. It doesn't. That's a political, you know, nothing. It's just a thing. I mean, can, can, they act, can the government actually use the money to help build the wall? I don't know. Well, I'd be interested to know. I bet there, there's a contract when you sign up with Go, GoFundMe. Uh-huh. Your GoFundMe gets a percentage of it, whatever yeah. it is. Uh-huh. And then the money goes somewhere. Right, to whoever started the account. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. GoFundMe gets their little piece of it, but I think there's rules about what it needs to go toward based on how the contract is structured. Yeah. Uh, or I don't know if there's a refund clause in it or what. So Let's go to how it works. Because I'm looking at it. Is it 20, yeah. 708000 Wow. I do find that hysterical. So here's, if we're in the mood for GoFundMe, can I make a legitimate request on air? Sure. I haven't even set this up yet, but so I'm kind of curious. If you're listening, send us an email to info at littlejohnfs.com. So here's the story. Um, my wife's a music teacher, and as you know, this is one of these programs that has uh, ups and downs of funding. Many schools have lost their music programs, but she's a music teacher in Sutherland. There's this, ex- I'm not going to call it exotic, there's a set of classroom instruments she wants to get. Of course, they're not in the budget. And the question is, is that worth starting a GoFundMe account to try to get a classroom set of instrumentation? Yes. I wouldn't hesitate. Well, I put, I'll put it to our listeners, and they, you guys tell <laughs> me, because it seems like a novel idea. And I have to tell you that if it meant that my wife has to sit in a classroom with a bunch of kids banging mallets on xylophones until her ears ring... There's a part of me that's kind of laughing with glee because <laughs> <laughs> she wants it. <laughs> so I think the hardest part about fundraising these days is the actual collection part, right? Who collects the money? Do they trust the person collecting it? Like there's kind of some GoFundMe's questions. GoFundMe is pretty legitimate. No, no, now. but I'm not saying about GoFundMe. I'm just saying per, like personally, if Heather were to ap- approach people personally and say, hey, I want to raise money for my classroom. First of all, the reach is only to her initial scope or, you know, circle of contacts right Right, right. so it can't go further than that right so that's kind of hard because that limits what you can raise versus if you start a gofundme page you can share it to facebook and your friends Mm -hmm. can share it and like you may get anonymous donors that don't really know you but believe in the program see i don't know if like with through gofundme one of the things is that if you go through the school you can actually make it a donation that is a deductible event so if that's the case then does yeah then does the GoFundMe account, can it play that game or not? Well, that's interesting yeah. to look into. It I is. but I mean and Derek may argue just for fun. Just for fun. Against it. But I I mean no, I've seen people not gonna start do it. No? I, I'm just gonna <laughs> argue with whatever you say. Okay. That well that works for me just too. Just don't curse at me again because I'm still You're so from... you're giving people the wrong impression. 
You're totally giving people the wrong impression. Oh, no, you're on the show more. You're going to win on this. Opinion, <laughs> <Paul>. <laughs> like, Plus, we introduced on. him as Attorney Derek Simmons, and half the half the listeners went. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Hmm. Why do you have this guy? No. <laughs> Not litigator Derek Simmons, attorney Derek Simmons. I think so. your 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 witty sense of humor always surprises me sometimes because to me always law- surprises you sometimes. Always yeah, you like that? You got okay, that. Okay, it's thing. like 60% of the time it works all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds hey, about right. <laughs> you have used that on your children and you know you have. <laughs> no, it's um oh, see now you got me all flustered. All right. Moving on to GoFundMe. My kids will tell you that they think that I think I'm funny all the time and that I'm successful something less than 60%. Oftentimes you're funny. Yes. And oftentimes kids don't think their parents are funny, even when others do. (laughs) Well, I've met his kids. Some of his kids are funny. (laughs) (laughs) On their own right, yes. (laughs) All right. So we've covered some ground. I've got a couple things that I want to ask the attorney about but i've got some fun uh fun i use i, I abuse that term because it's not necessarily you say fun a lot i fun. say awesome. awesome it's let's say something interesting and useful and valuable i had a really fantastic conversation earlier about the different types of taxes out there oh and this is so important today because i had this really strange epiphany okay now I'm going to share the epiphany. We're getting, you know, toward the end of this segment, and then we'll, I, there's a bunch for the show here. But this was the epiphany, and I've got a really interesting group to have this discussion with, and it is about how everybody seems to lament these days about the terrible political candidates and how we need term limits and how we need to get the money out of the politics. And I thought, you know, there's such an easy solution to this problem, but nobody's willing to do it. Oh, bom, that's bom, it. Bom, bom, bom. There's What's your cliffhanger, the easy folks. solution to the political problem? Uh, I will share it with you, and then we'll unpack some of this, and then I will explain how it is relevant to your financial world, which it is. But we got to grab our first break. So we'll do that, and when we come back, yes, I'm going to solve your Facebook conundrum of why you're why some people can drive you insane. All right, so stick around. <laughs> we'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn, I'm Katie Shook, and Derek Simmons, and you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back <laughs> to the True Wealth Radio Show. I want to hear you announce like a baseball game or something. I think you would be a great baseball announcer. Maybe the color guy. I'm I have to really get better at names. And it really depends on what he's what he's um, going to announce. I heard him announce a North Carolina basketball game one time that was not fun. I mean, he sounded a lot like you in that particular game. Oh, they, were, get, they were getting creamed. They were just getting creamed. <laughs> I don't remember ever announcing wow. the win. I remember the fans announcing the event. Like, what is going on? What happened at breakfast? I got thrown under the bus somewhere. Jeez. I don't. I yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I have to show I up and defend a, myself through. I thought it was a pretty time. good breakfast until we started talking about the employee handbook. Oh, Katie. it was my notes, huh? <laughs> well, I, I have to. We had a cliffhanger there. Um, yes. For the listeners, 
we'll and get there. What I wanted to tell you was mm-hmm. Strange Epiphany would be a great name for a band. Ooh, it would be. So let's write that down. Somebody Strange, write that down. Strange Epiphany, good band name. All right. <laughs> All right. But the Strange Epiphany is worth coming back to. And I te- So maybe I might have oversold this just a little bit, guys. No, uh, it's a good I epiphany. don't know that it's really going to solve your Facebook problem because here's what I this is this is actually very true. Uh, if you guys go out into the twi- the, the, the inter sphere, <laughs> right? Go into that interweb thing and check into the TED talks. And I gave a TED talk a couple years ago about. Confirmation bias. Well, uh, about a, a number of biases that we have and the way we, the decision-making process. And and it's it's particularly relevant to investors because when you get into, I hate to use this term, but the, the, the term of triggered in this case means when you get into the emotional side of the brain, the emotional side of the brain actually shuts off the logic center to your brain. And so you start making decisions using the shortcuts that you get from emotion, okay? And those shortcuts can oftentimes lead you to fight or flight response, and you're acting without complete information, and you're not necessarily connecting all of the pieces. You're just getting it done quickly, right? Because the emotion fight or flight response doesn't have time to process all the data. It just needs to get this thing done because it's freaking out. True. Uh, so you rely on subconscious components. Now your brain is, you know, 90% of your brain activity is subconscious. And it's extremely powerful as far as what your brain's capability is. Uh, in fact, scientists generally don't understand the full capacity of our brain. We know it's a lot, but we don't know how it pulls it off. Because on basically about 20 watts of power, it generates the same computing power as the world's most powerful supercomputer, which takes the equivalent of like 16 households to power or something absurd. So then he he promised he was going to tie this back to personal finance, right? I am. Just making sure. Yes, it all comes back to this. If you are making decisions emotionally and not logically, you tend to make poor decisions. There was some fantastic research on, it was used around gamblers, but it's appropriate for the way investors view decisions on risk and reward. And what they found is they took two groups. Uh, they had just what they would call the, the normal group. This is just sort of every typical person. They did a normal sampling. And then they took people that had been clinically observed to be sociopaths. And they put them in front of a gambling scenario where there was a risk and reward trade-off and watched how they chose whether or not to take the risk. And the sociopaths had far better outcomes. And the idea behind it was that they are divorced from the emotion of the decision. So they simply make a logic decision each time where the gambler, which is the normal person in this group, is the one that responds to the win or loss ratio and miscalculates the odds using the emotional shortcuts. They observed a similar reaction in mice. What they found is that mice, if given the same odds as humans, but mice were either given an electric shock or a treat. And they discovered that if seven out of 10 times they got a shock, they would stop trying for the treat. But humans would still go for the, the, the gambling treat, even when their odds got to like seven out of 10. They didn't compute the odds anymore because the emotion said, the next one's going to be it. No, it'll be the next one. And so there's that addiction component going on. So this sounds like the, the new 
a catchphrase is going to be invest like a sociopath. Oh, I don't know. I, that so would be a I like big to winner. say invest like the dealer. Oh, okay. right. The dealer in Las Vegas plays the hand based on probabilities and rules. Right. And it, so by not pl- by emotion. not winning every hand, but winning more than they lose consistently, they come out ahead. And so they invest using logic and probability. They're math people. Well, when I quote you, it's going to be invest like a sociopath. Very just, well. Just so you know. Glad we had this talk. <clears throat> I'm going to speak to my other counsel after the show. Uh, <laughs> and anyhow, so the idea of divorcing yourself from the emotion is actually a really good idea. If you can get out of your emotional side of the decision process and get into the logic side, well, think about social media or any of the mainstream media sources right now that are advertising driven. Okay, it's an advertising revenue stream that's important. And the more national you get, the more important this is. And here's why. Like here locally on KQEN, most of us have just a general interest in what's going on in our neighborhood. Right. That's a na- an interest because of proximity. And so the the local media doesn't have to gin up a whole lot to get you interested. You natively are. You'll go seek it out. But the national media needs to attract your attention. Okay? Which is why you end up getting more editorialism in those environments and the stories more and more are sprinkled with shock value that bridges get you out of your logic-bound brain onto the emotion side. They tr- attempt to trigger you and get you to stay longer and watch, right? It's the rubbernecking, it's the stare at the train wreck, it's that kind of event. So that, and that's why you get that expression, if it bleeds, it leads. So we need to be aware of that in who we elect, in how we view media sources. And my great epiphany was, Who cares how much money's in politics if everybody learned to do really good research and use the logic side of their brain? And you can't just try to confirm what you want. That's a hard one for all of us. You can't just say, well, I don't like it, so let me get all the research that agrees with my opinion. If we all went out and sought balanced research, then we would naturally limit some of our representatives. Yeah, we, but how do you how do you define what is and what is not balanced? There know, are groups there are groups that are going to go pick their favorite source and call it balanced. Oh, that's that's the problem. Ultimately, we will have a lot of people that use what we call confirmation bias. Okay? This is the only seeking what they want to state their case. So how do you get out of that trap? I don't know that we can get out of it other than actively seeking to read both sides and actively reminding yourself to 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 try to take a non-emotional view of the data so, and that's really hard so one of the things like when voter pamphlets and stuff come out is um and I'll ask both of you do you guys actually read everything in the pamphlet like do you read the whole thing about whatever bills trying to be passed or the candidates and then does it go from there? Like, do you read just the pamphlet or do you read online too as well based on maybe your associated party? Because I know for me, I've heard so many different advertisements based on their personal agenda that in trying to seek the truth, first I start with the pamphlet to see what the measure says, which sometimes can be very confusing to read if it's a if it's a measure that's out for vote or something like that. And then try to go online and seek out more sources, but um, not just get sucked into the commercial 
smear campaigns? Well, I guess there's a little bit of each. I would say that if I've already made up my mind before I get to the ballot, I don't spend a lot of time reading the um, But what pamphlet. helps you make up the make up your mind if you've already made up your <laughs> One mind? One is a lawyer. <laughs> that doesn't hurt. Yeah, I, he's like, and I got this on lock. Watch, this is my four-step <laughs> program to reading the pamphlet. I, I have special information, special insight. No, not really. But uh, there, there, there are races where I have a a a, um, a bright line issue where if you feel this way about this issue, I'm voting for you or I'm voting against you. There are some like that. The rest of them, though, especially ballot measures, I think it is really helpful to read exactly what's in the pamphlet and see who is opposed and why mm-hmm. and who is in favor and why. And that that's where I do go and get informed like I ought to. I read a lot of the voters pamphlet. I mean, I, 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 I yeah, read I, through I mean, it. I, I read it. And then I also will oftentimes if I'm struggling with an issue. I will look at who wrote the different opinion pieces, and I will go look up a little bit more autobiographical information about the people that wrote their reviews, and I will seek uh, a bit of their motivation. And I try to triangulate based on where things are coming from. And then I also try to read the law itself and get an idea what the context of it is, because a lot of these things, uh, they exist for specific reasons. Um, and the context is sometimes a little bit obscure, too. I'd say vague. Well, um, and the other part of that as well is I would say seek counsel from someone who you feel is well-informed. I mean, there's a lot of times, David, I pick your brain because I know you've done the research and will kind of give me a little bit of both sides of the argument and say, look, this is kind of how I see it. And so some of my decision making is kind of based on your opinion because I value your opinion. (laughs) But but am I uncommon as a voter? No, because I think there's a lot of voters that will seek out someone that they feel is more politically informed than they are and ask their opinion and that will sway their vote. Well, then the other one. You're not the only one I ask. It doesn't all hang on you. (laughs) Our our double secret probation project amongst a a group here is uh, exploratory look at ranked choice voting. This that's is one that's like not for lot. issues, but this is for people. Ranked choice. What is that? Well, the Derek? idea the yeah. idea is that if you've got like three candidates, actually you need at least three for it to make any difference. Okay. You don't just choose one. You rank them one, two, three. Because it may be that there's somebody you'd vote for and somebody you'd vote against and the other guy you don't know that much about or maybe they, you, you like them, but just not as much as the other guy. Okay. And in many cases, that person would win as the electorate gets more polarized and people, let's take uh, the last presidential election. Okay. There were about- A dozen candidates in between the extremes. Well, yeah, yeah, but forget that. Even in the final one, we had 45% of the electorate voting against Hillary Clinton and 45% of the electorate voting against Donald Trump. Right. And, And then they had nobody else to vote for. And that's how the election got decided. If you'd had a third-party candidate with with realistic, uh, you know, possibility of winning, he, you'd have voted that third for them. Per- person might have won kind in, of by default in because they disliked every, the other two yes, more. In almost every single uh, ballot, my guess is the second place person would have won. Right, and the the benefit of it is that it produces a more moderate pool of candidates, more centrist. This is really important because if you think about the way things get sold right now, uh, there's very much a triangulation game. Pick just a handful of key issues and use those 
to get voters to identify with you. And that's why you get things that are uh, really politically controversial. Uh, yeah, they are controversial. But, and, and, and not easy and to fix. Well, they're binary. They're, they're, they're set up as binary issues, even if they're not. And they're held as binary issues so that you have to choose a candidate based on this or not this. Right? I mean, that you know, that's what they try to boil it down to. And, you know, the political science of it all is it works pretty well. Yeah. I mean, there's what? Abortion, I mean, taxes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of key issues. So anyway, and, and for the purposes of today's show, this is all interesting, debatable stuff. And we can let our listeners know that we all have this on our mind as well. You know, that as a as a financial professional, I am often looking at the way the system is built because there's a significant impact on the economic conditions of our country as a result. But our sway is still limited. And I want to give our listeners some financial insight as well today. So I'm going to use this as a segue opportunity. Right. So you'll hear more about ranked choice voting in the future, I think, because I know some fairly uh, clever folks that are, are are actually looking at how that might be constructed or if that can be a constructive option in Oregon. It may be a ways down the way, but it's we wouldn't even be the first state. There are other states that are using some ranked choice voting right now i think maine is one of them maine and then there are state there are uh, other cities that, right. that use it in city elections yeah so in other countries there frankly. are some pilot programs if you will and some other folks that have already trailblazed a little bit so i think this is a fascinating concept for a state that really fancies itself quite progressive but in many respects laments the fact that there's been essentially one party rule for a long time and and that uh it's not necessarily a fully balanced look at the state, but yet we triangulate with only two party options. So I like it. So we'll experiment with that. It'll be fun. But I do want us to shift gears a little bit. It is still relevant to politics because there are two things in life that are certain. Death and, and taxes. Death and taxes, <laughs> of course. Uh and, and what do we say? Uh, and don't talk about politics at Thanksgiving. The, the second oldest profession, but it closely resembles the first. <laughs> so, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about taxes. And I want to talk about how folks don't get it, right? Like you don't get it in the debate or you don't get it in, like I want to help train your thinking to be more efficient with I'm not saying you shouldn't pay your taxes. I'm saying the opposite. Pay your taxes. But you don't need to pay more than more you should. than you need to pay in right. your taxes. And there may be some things that you just through changing your thinking can change the way you interact. And this is one that by the way, Derek's pretty good at this stuff. Ooh. So we're gonna have some fun here, but we better take a next break. So we'll do that and when we come back we're going to talk about ways you can move the needle on your tax return. So that and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And Derek Simmons. we got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. And local talk at four on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. We have got our 
whole cadre in studio today. So joining me, I've got Katie. As always. Texting. I'm not, at least I'm not driving. <laughs> Good point. And I've got, uh, you know, everybody's favorite attorney, Derek Simmons, is in studio with us today. Uh, and we're talking about, I am confident you're thinking to yourself, if you really go there, I'm going to tune out. No, don't. Don't, because this is stuff that can move the needle in your life, and it could certainly reframe the way you think to help you be more creative in how you deal with the IRS, right? Which, by the way, I think people are, like, somehow along the lines, they got really intimidated by them. And most well, they can throw you in jail, Katie. It's like you know. Well, no, so can policemen. If you're stupid enough, yeah, you can you know you can get thrown in jail by on the your police. Own. I'm just saying. <laughs> I know? mean, you know, I'm pretty sure you could figure out ways to do it without your taxes if you really want to be dumb enough. But um, to get thrown in jail. Yeah, I'm there. You break the law. It yeah, you happen. break the law. But no, what I'm what I'm saying though, a lot of times is uh, like even with audits or different things, people are so concerned about almost like the like hurting their feelings or making sure that they're perfectly happy and um, that they get worried and sometimes overpay their taxes because they're so worried about being audited that they mm. would rather not I, I guess find all the things. I think it things. depends on the person. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. So uh, Derek, you're kind of a fun one to have in studio. We've talked about these things professionally, uh, certainly counseled others about them. But, you know, I have observed that a lot of folks out there don't necessarily understand that taxes come in different flavors. Oh, they absolutely do. Oh, they're flavorful now. Well, I use this term because I think it's helpful for folks to you know, come up with something in your mind that will help you separate them and remember it. Numbers all lump together. It's true. Right. They do. And, you know, numbers lump together really easily. But if we were to talk about the different flavors of taxes here as an analogy, then maybe folks will latch on different because the different flavors of tax have different ways that the IRS treats them. True. It's also very important because we have a tendency in in the political landscape to simply throw out taxes as a generic term as if they're all the same thing and they're but not they're really not you no. know you know the one that kills me is corporate taxes yes when when uh, a politician will say we need to tax the corporations we need the corporations to pay their fair share it's right. because they don't understand the system so, so lay it on me, preach right. it, brother, because you're, right. you're killing it. So here's what's going. <laughs> what happens is if you tax a corporation, then the corporation does not pay that money out to individuals. And that's the whole reason the individuals own the corporation. If right. you just leave, if you leave corporations as pass through not paying any taxes, like, for example, S corporations or LLCs or even sole proprietorships, which are bad for other reasons. Right. Or partnerships, if you if you leave that alone, it comes to a tax-paying entity, an individual, anyway. Yeah. So I want you to so clarify that. Yeah, Wait, clarify I, I wanna, that sentence. Yeah. Really so quick, we're let's let's make this exceedingly simple for the person that doesn't understand. When you say a tax pass-through entity, okay, or even the way you just described it. So, so I got it. So all right, go for this, so Katie. I am the individual, and I own a bubblegum company, and okay. I make bubblegum. Right. So what did you mean when you said that the money is a pass-through to a different entity? Okay. So if you are a 
sole proprietor or an LLC or a corporation or a, a, a partnership or an S corporation, okay. that that company doesn't pay any taxes. It right. just says, hey, government, the company brought in this much money. And the owners then have to pay the taxes yeah. on it. So my bubblegum company made a hundred grand this year profit. And so my bubblegum company doesn't pay taxes on the hundred grand. I personally, as the owner, will pay taxes that on a hundred grand. Right, the hundred right. grand becomes my so, income. So Katie has five employees. They make bubblegum. She pays everybody a salary, pays the taxes on the payroll, and has all of the expenses that the business has, right? So when the business buys something, that that's not a tax typically unless the business has to pay sales tax on the item it purchases right right but the business then turns around and makes its profit however it makes it the profit is what people are talking about paying taxes on typically right, right? corporations make so much money they need to pay taxes well guess what if you are any of the entities that derek just talked about which, and remember, sole proprietor means, hey, that's just me. I own it. I've right. got my own little personal business. I didn't fill out any weird lawyer paperwork. I just got a business. Some okay, realtors are sole proprietors. That's very straightforward. But if you uh, are somehow incorporated in these other structures, it doesn't matter. All of the profits that don't get spent as expenses in the business land in the lap of the owner who, who pays taxes who will have to declare that as income on their taxes okay now nobody nobody likes that but i have to tell you that's fair that's right. the way it should work yeah. the individual should pay the taxes well that's the ones where it's weird are c corporations and and why are the c corporations weird because the c corporations pay all their employees they pay their payroll taxes they pay all their expenses and let's say they're left with a hundred so add as many zeros as you need to to make that realistic for you. But they're left with 100. Then the corporation must pay tax. Right. Before it gives anything to the owners. And right now that tax is at 21%. Ooh, that's steep. Well, and it comes right off the top before it goes to the owners, who then again are going to pay taxes on whatever it is they've received. Right. So let's talk about this in terms of Amazon for a minute. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a lot of zeros. That's Amazon's a, zeros. a whole bunch of zeros. And people say Amazon makes money like it's its job, which actually isn't true. It, but yeah. let's just say that it, or let's say but we're it in, we're is in its Oregon. Job. Let's say it's Nike. Nike makes tons of money. And it's unfair that Phil Knight spends all of his money on the Ducks and not the Beavers. Okay. That's polarizing in our area. <laughs> so Nike should pay its fair share of taxes. Okay. So Nike sells shoes all over the world. It pays hundreds of thousands of employees all over the world. And at the end of the fiscal year, it has this big chunk of profit. Nike's got one of two decisions to make with that big chunk of profit. Or I guess three, right? There's three primary decisions. Well, it can keep the money and pay taxes. Right. That's decision one. Right. It can distribute the money as uh, dividends. Dividends, dividends, right? In which case, it will have paid the taxes, and then it will give out the dividends. Right, and then the people and the dividend is just a profit share to the owners. And remember, Nike's a public company. If you buy shares, you're a fractional owner, so a dividend is your profit Profit. share. Right, or it can avoid the corporate tax by paying it out as expenses. So it can give its employees enormous bonuses, who then will pay taxes. Well, or it can go buy new factories, it can reinvest in or research yeah, and development. everything out. It, and so this is the traditional definition of a growth company in the investment world is they are 
taking the vast majority of their earnings and plowing it back into the company to try to grow bigger. Yes. That, that's the traditional growth company, right? Versus when you hear Dave Ramsey say, how about a growth in income? That's a company that's also typically paying out dividends to shareholders. It's making profits. It's not investing 100% back into additional growth. But it's investing some. Because it's, it's growing some it's, and then it's keeping some of the income. Well, not necessarily. It could actually pay out everything. Okay, it could pay out all of its profits, but where most people would jump to the conclusion of, oh, so it's a value company. Eh, it doesn't make it a value company by definition. Value has to do with the price of the stock compared to the book value of all of the assets of the company. But we're getting, again, we're slightly really off course weeks, here. Yeah. Back to your point, Derek, is the the corporation is in fact paying the tax or paying it to the people that will pay the tax. That's correct. And if it's paying the tax itself, where does that extra money come from to pay the taxes? It has to come from the margin in the business that's produced by charging the customer. It increases prices. That's exactly where it goes. So when you impose a corporate sales tax, it's like just a price increase for all of, for everybody else. Right. This is why it's super important that voters understand here in Oregon, I'm not going to, I'm not ready to come out and say like, oh, Oregon's a super tax, high tax state. Parts of it, that's true because Oregon has a state income tax and state property tax, but we don't have a state sales tax currently, but we've seen a number of proposals that corporations should pay a gross receipts tax. Let me tell you how that works, right? If the corporation has to pay more, so does the consumer right. of the corporation's the product. So my little bubblegum company. Yeah, so your bubblegum company must charge more for the bubblegum because if you have to pay for everything at the top before your profits, you won't have any profits left to pay taxes anywhere else or unless you me. raise the prices. Right. So then I either close my bubblegum company because why am I going to run a company all year if I'm not going to pay myself? Right. Like, that's silly. And, and so like, bookmark this part of the podcast and the next time this debate comes up you tell people listen to this because this is not partisan this is mechanical this is actually how taxes flow through the system and how they get paid right now if you want to argue that the business owner went out and took advantage of a tax loophole or something i'm not going to tell you that there are not tax loopholes well actually so here's the way this works there is one code section in the federal tax code that says there shall be a tax on all income from whatever source derived. And if we'd stop there, it'd be a very short tax code and there would be no loopholes and it would be really easy to deal with. Correct. But, but what has happened is that our legislative bodies have gone through and tried to engineer things. They said, boy, it'd be good if people bought property. Boy, it'd be good if they invested. So we're gonna give different tax rates and breaks and that's how we got, you know, 36 right. volumes. The, yeah, the government incentivizes certain behaviors. I'm making it up, but it's not that far off. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And, yeah, oh, tomes. Really, think about a 401k. How many sections deep to get to the tax code number 401 subsection K? K? Yeah, by the way, that's how creative <laughs> these names are. <laughs> right, and, and guess what? The college plans come in section 529. 529. Yeah. So 
There's a lot of sections here. 129 pages. All right, look, we are we got to take our last break. We're running long, so let's grab our last break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what can you do with this fabulous tax knowledge to be a more savvy investor and generally good citizen. All right, so stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And Derek Simmons. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240, KQEN. There's the smile I'm looking for. <laughs> Welcome back to the True Wealth like- Radio Show. Uh, you know, sometimes the stuff that's off air is probably my favorite part of the show. Yeah, we don't have to bleep Katie nearly as much. No, <laughs> no. I save it for the radio. I do. Well played. <laughs> All right, so look, we got the home stretch here, and we've been talking about taxes today and uh, so derek do corporations pay taxes corporations c corporations do pay taxes actually even s corporations and llc's pay tiny little taxes certainly not nearly in the same ballpark but they do pay some right so what would be the benefit of having a c corp then well it used to be you could get more deductions in a c corporation than you could in an s but they've been stripped away slowly over time right and really the biggest benefit is the number of participants in the in ownership because I believe the S corporation has a limit of a hundred shareholders. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And uh, and they must be U.S. citizens, and they must right. be humans. They can't be. Uh, yeah, you, you can't know, LLCs or S corporations or anything or like that. Yeah, or like a trust or something like that. Right. So you can, but they have to be certain types. Right. So there's, but the biggest is the limitation in the number of participants. S corporations or LLCs are really commonly used for sort of the private placement money or for uh, the, uh, I guess, angel capital, things like that, where you're trying to do more startup type stuff. But it's, it's definitely relegated to the small business world. When you get into the traditional big corporate Fortune 500 kind of stuff, they're all C corps. So like Nike would be a C corp. Yes. Oh, yeah. Kay. Yeah. Easy. All right, David, earlier you said that you were going to share ways we can move the needle on our taxes. Yeah. So the first one is you got to understand that if the taxes are different flavors, right? So we've talked basically about the way corporations pa- pass taxes through. Okay. And we've, we've talked about the fact that the individuals in especially pass-through entities, so more or less any corporation that's not a C corporation uh, or any business entity that's not a C corporation, the money ends up whatever profits end up in the hands of the owner who pays taxes. Right. Okay. But there are other types of taxes. What if you don't work for one of those, uh, a corp, uh, let's say you just work for a company, but you're not the owner. Well, you get income, right, from your W-2 wages. Right. That's earned income. And you, you pay income. income you taxes. pay income taxes. Regular right. income. But what if you receive dividends from a company or an entity that you own? Right, so you own part of Nike, and you, Nike pays out a dividend, so you get dividend income, not held in a retirement plan. That's different, but you just get it as a check at the end of the year. Right. So what happens? It's not taxed as well. It's taxed. It's tax. just taxed at a lower rate. Yeah, and right. the answer is it depends on how much income tax you pay. Right. Because your income level will put you in different tax brackets for dividend income, which is paid at a different rate. Now. Dividends are not the only ways you make money. 
right? You can also, what if you flipped a house? Capital Ooh. gains. Right? Profits on the house that you bought for one price and improved and sold for a higher price. That's a business enterprise. So the question is, did you flip it in less than a year? Short-term versus long-term capital Correct. gains. Correct. See, capital gains, and this goes back to, Derek, your point earlier, that somewhere along the line, somebody created an incentive that said, hey, we, we would prefer that you invest long-term. So we'll give you a more favorable tax treatment if you hold investments for more than a year. Yep. Yeah, first they said, we'd prefer that you invest. So we're going to treat capital gains different than ordinary income, and it's a better tax rate. Mm -hmm. and, then they, and then they said, but we'd like you to invest over the longer term, so we're going to set this arbitrary uh, one-year period. If you have it for longer than a year, you get better tax rates. Right. And I would go so far as to say, if you really want to address... So this is the elephant in the room. Now, I am not a redistribution guy natively. I do see that there's a bit of an issue that like one one-hundredth of one percent has 80% of the wealth in the country or whatever it is. But the reason they have it is because it's not necessarily liquid, like spendable income wealth. I mean, Jeff Bezos is the world's richest man because he owns like 14% of the stock in Amazon. So he'd have to sell the stock, pay capital gains tax on it, and then he'd have to use that money to go buy stuff. And then any interest he earned on the income, he'd have to pay taxes on as well. So it's not like he's got this giant paycheck every year that's going to be taxed as income. It's a capital gain from a company that he's been building for like over 20 years now. So the example I've heard you tell on the radio a lot is the difference between the way Warren Buffett gets his income versus his like personal assistant. Right. And we talked about the difference in taxes, like ultimately because he gets his income from other sources like dividends and not necessarily as a straight paycheck or a pass through entity, kind of like we were talking about. Yeah, I mean, possibly the, that all the billionaires out there, right? All like, of the billionaires, their money is from ownership in other entities. It's right? not W-2 income. It is not income. So when you say, we need to tax the rich more, and you go, well, how? Which flavor are we taxing? Yeah, because you I have said you. Like, the, his secretary may end up as a dollar amount paying a higher tax amount well, on no, her as, w a percentage. as a percentage on right. her W-2 wages. Because I mean, if he pays his secretary a quarter of a million a year, that's a pretty good salary for her. And right. she's going, okay, well, you're in the highest, pretty much the highest tax bracket or close to it. But he himself has almost no income because it's all assets that he owns. Then his percentage tax rate on his net worth is significantly lower proportionally. Right. He pays out more dollars in taxes, right? But he doesn't pay a higher percentage. And so it's always about... How do you frame it? Right. What are you looking at? We're right. about to run out of time to move the dial, move the needle. We are. So the trick here is step one, if you've not done this, this is why you work with professionals, right? That it wasn't supposed to be a sales pitch for working with a pro, but it really does help. The other is you may want to look into business ownership, even a small business. Entrepreneurs are what have created uh, a lot of the economic success in this country. So go down that path because business ownership creates all kinds of opportunities to start using expensing. Okay. So we'll have to do another show with more on that, but we're out of time for today. So anyway, uh, Derek, thanks as always for joining us. How do they find you? Watkinson Laird Rubenstein, 673-5528. There you go. And if you need more help, call Little John Financial Services at 541-375-0898. 
As always, thanks for joining us, Katie and Derek. Until next time. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.